Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Joseph Noop here on the 1099, your loyal host as always, and thank you for joining me this week. Uh, it's been a tough, weird kind of first, what, two, three weeks here moving to L.A., and I appreciate you guys sticking through it with me, and I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing John Phillips' letter last week to Infinity War. On this week's episode, I've got uh, Alex and Wesley from the Outer Wilds team, the creative director and the art director, respectively. And if you've seen, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been kind of like fascinated by the Outer Wilds. It is a game that I do not know how it exists. I, I, I physically cannot comprehend how this game exists as fully and functionally as it does. Uh, for those who don't know, Outer Wilds, not the Obsidian RPG Outer Worlds, but Outer Wilds by Mobius Digital. So Outer Wilds is like this open world mystery about a solar system that's really like trapped in an endless time loop. Think like Groundhog's Day meets 2001 without the like killer AI uh, as far as I'm aware. And I haven't like totally finished it yet, but I've been super fascinated thus far. And the game, if you love the sense of exploration and discovery, uh, that you get in like big open world games like Skyrim or uh, or even even you know quote unquote like walking simulators like everybody's gone to the Rapture or Gone Home, you know that tingly feeling you get when like in Gone Home you see the red paint in the bathtub and you think oh shit or you like the first time I went to the uh, I, I call it the Underdark but. Uh, I know it's called something different. The underground, like, dwarven city. Uh, I went into that underground dwarven city the, like, wrong way the first time, I think. And so I was in a very peculiar spot. But, like, realizing that there was this massive structure beneath the world I had been walking on the entire time, that was another, like, oh, shit kind of moment for me. And Outer Wilds is that in so many ways, so many times, and in such a compelling fashion that... Uh, like I said, I, I can't believe it. it exists and it works as well as it does. So um, this week, I really wanted to talk to uh, some members of the team about how they went about like really formulating that sense of discovery in a game where, uh, you know, weirdly enough, you're not really, it's not linear in any way. Um, you spend the first 30 minutes on kind of your home planet before launching off into space. But from there, uh, you can really solve these mysteries in any way you want. Uh, you can go anywhere. Uh, death is death is about abundant, believe me. Uh, but you can go to any planet. It's not like, oh, you got to go to this one first. Um, which makes for a really interesting, compelling story and just this really trippy sense of realizing, let me tell you a story. So there's a couple of twin planets that orbit each other and one of them is depositing sand onto the other and basically filling this like Grand Canyon-esque structure and there's a like underground city. I'm walking through there and I kind of, I find this abandoned or derelict like spaceship and I go through the guts of the spaceship and I find my way through some caverns uh, towards this underground city and on the wall are some writings from this like ancient race of aliens who like came before you, kind of typical video game stuff and they warn you like, hey, be careful, the sand is rising and at first I didn't really think much of it but as I went through the caverns, I realized, oh shit, the sand's actually rising, go figure. Uh, and all these warnings to like be quick and be cautious are 
meant to be happening in real time. Um, these people are fleeing this slowly rising sand that is going to kill me. <laughs> and it, even though Outer Wilds is not really a horror game, uh, th there was a sense of abject horror and discovery and like, oh, I have, I have suddenly discovered something unknowable. Uh, so really, this was a fun conversation to have talking about uh, all sorts of things. We talk about like how they go about kind of creating that sense of discovery, um, building these kind of interconnected but freeform worlds, art direction, uh, the kind of the character of each planet, uh, but also like the the more comforting kind of nature-based aesthetic of, you know, it feels like you're backpacking around the universe um, and how uh, both Alex and Wesley kind of grew up uh, really enjoying being out in nature uh, and and how that translates to the game. So uh, I think you'll learn something a lot about the way we, a team like Mobius Digital handles discovery and player curiosity versus a bigger team, you know, something typical like Skyrim or what have you. And uh, I, I really hope that this game has a big impact. We also talk a little bit about uh, the origins of the game and my weird connection to it. So that was super fun. So, all right, here you go. Here's a conversation. Enjoy Alex Beecham and Wesley Martin of the Outer Wilds team. Here we go. Alex and Wesley, thank you for joining me here on the 1099. How are you guys doing this fine day? Doing good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Where are you guys uh, based out of, actually? We're in Los Angeles. Oh, okay, great. Well, uh, I'm, I'm beginning to make all sorts of friends here. I actually just moved to Los Angeles the beginning of this month. So uh, I've been here for only a little over two weeks. Nice. Well, where in LA? Uh, Culver City. All right. So we're like kind of south of downtown. South of uh, downtown, uh, like like literally South LA, or no? Oh, downtown, like Arts District. Oh, cool, cool. I I was uh, not that far from you guys, and then I went to Little Tokyo uh, yesterday, actually, on my first day off since moving here, and I was like, damn it, I'm going to go buy some weeb shit. So. <laughs> That's great, though. Uh, and you know, I before we dive into things. Um, T today, I really we're here to talk about the Outer Wilds, uh, your new game um, published by Annapurna, and I have this really weird connection with Outer Wilds that I I was thinking like, oh, should I tell them before we start recording? But I think I just wanted to leave it for here. Uh, so Outer Wilds, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, began as like a student thesis project, like way back uh, 2014, 15ish, right? I started in 2012. 12. So actually, I, I, I like researching again for this interview, like in the last year, watching the trailers and the news coverage of the Outer Wilds kind of pick up as the game neared release, I was like, this game looks so familiar. Like, what what is it about this game that I feel like I've seen before? And lo and behold, so 2015 was the first year I attended the Game Developers Conference, uh, where you guys won the IGF Seamus McNally Grand Prize. And uh, I was there in the crowd. Uh, I had no damn clue what I was doing that year. I was there for, like, my college uh, 
kind of like website newspaper thing. Uh, but I remember seeing the game then being like, whoa, that looks really cool. All these IGF games. I, I didn't even, I knew about the Game Developers Choice Awards, but not the IGF Awards. So I'm kind of sitting there like, wow, all this like weird games look so great. So uh, congratulations on that. And congratulations on four years later, finally getting it out the door. Um, with with you know, It's only funny because isn't that the first time you, uh, yeah. Um, so the, the student project was Alex's thesis. Um, but most of the team here at Mobius didn't work on that version. We were hired on actually right after it went IGF. And I had the same experience as you, where I was like sitting in the crowd at IGF. I saw it win the awards. And little did I know that a couple months later, I'd be starting work on it. That's so crazy. Like, uh, what did you think about the game when you uh, saw it? Were you intrigued by, uh, you're the art directors, like here on this version of the game. So uh, clearly something about it spoke to you. Uh, it was almost the opposite, actually. I saw it and I was like, "This game looks like student art." Like, yeah, right. It wasn't until you played it afterwards. Yeah, you're right. like, "Oh." I saw the art and I was like, "Huh, I wonder why it won all these awards." And then when I found out about the interview, uh, or right before my interview um, with Alex and Lohan, I sat down and like started playing the game. And then it was like four in the morning, and I was trying to find the next hidden thing. And, at that point, I was hooked, but when I initially saw it, I was kind of skeptical. Well, that's awesome, and I, that, that's crazy to think that, like, you know, small world. Um, I've I've been to every GDC since, uh, and I try to attend the uh, Developer Choice Awards. Didn't get to go this last March, but uh, it, it's always funny to see these, like, almost fully formed, like, inklings of ideas or student games um, that are, like, the passion projects of, like, one to two people uh come to fruition in like a very weird different way uh so many years later so uh congrats on getting all that out the door thank you thanks and tell me alex i i do i am very curious like what was i i've been tweeting about the game for what feels like a couple days i started playing it maybe a week ago and i haven't finished it so this will probably remain a, a pretty spoiler free interview but uh how where did the idea for outer wilds begin um because i am continually fascinated that this game exists in the first place oh my god i i, I answer i think i answer this question differently every time um for what that's worth um it uh ooh, it kind of came together so it started uh, back in grad school at usc um it was in the interactive media master's program there and uh, it was sort of the year before gearing. So our third and final year was our thesis year where we spend the entire year working on a project that you sort of come up with and gather a team for, if that's your thing. Um, and it was the year before, and we had this class where it's pretty much a prototyping class. Um, and it kind of came together out of a bunch of individual prototypes, kind of new. It was, I was kind of trying to do something in the space exploration area. Um, because at the time, and this is seven years, it's 20, 2012, that was kind of a dead genre at the time. And um, it was just, uh, so there was one prototype where you would fly, you launched this little model rocket and probably crashed it. And then you had to go climb into the giant version and blast off. And there was one where you fired this little probe thing that had a camera attached. And there was one where there was a cabin that would move every time you looked away from it. And so, of course, those are all things that ended up being roped into the final game. But the actual project was sort of, uh, 
one of the one of the ideas at the beginning was sort of wanting to do something where the world changed over time in a really dramatic way as you were exploring it. And so there was sort of the space exploration angle, and then there was the wanting to do something where things were changing over time angle. And on top of all of that, uh, one of the goals was sort of to make an exploration game where it, that was very player driven, um, and in particular driven by player curiosity, as opposed to sort of any kind of extrinsic rewards. And I guess and you put all that in a blender and uh, over the next year, uh, things sort of kind of sort of gradually solidified is my, uh, that's my very roundabout answer. And, you know, I think you, you start to get at the meat of what I would like this talk to be about. Um, the reason I am fascinated that this game even exists and, and exists as, as fully functional as it does uh, is because of a lot of that, like, sense of discovery and player curiosity fueling all of this. Um, <clears throat> there, uh, w- without spoiling it too much for people who may not have, like, played it yet and are listening to the show... Uh, I, th- I think the moment where the game clicked for me was one part of the, like, you know, finally getting off uh, Timber Hearth and g- g- floating out there in the freeform space and being like, oh, none of these planets are, like, so far that I can't just go to any of them. But also uh, on, I think it's em- uh, Ember Twin, uh, where I-, I think at some point I had found the, like, little data point that said, yeah, the sand is moving back and forth between uh, Ember Twin and Ash Twin, um, these two mini planets that are kind of, uh, there's some sort of giant, like, like waterfall of sand transferring sand from one planet to another. I went down into a series of caverns that led to a, like, underground city, and along the way there are messages that kind of explain, like, hey, we're, like, we're this long lost group of explorers, researchers, aliens, uh, and we were trying to get through these caverns and there's warnings about the sand rising. And I didn't like connect that until I actually saw the sand, uh, rising, uh, beneath my feet, like, uh, it like maybe 50 yards down in a cavern. And I love horror games. I, I try to play a lot of them. Uh, Because I think that like horror movies, the like ones that really strive to do something differently, even if they're like doing it on a budget, uh, have have a really unique perspective on things. Uh, This was the first moment in a long while that I was just like genuinely terrified in a game, like realizing, oh, oh, the the sand is rising and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And I am stuck down here somehow. Uh, I can I can probably try to make my way up but I'm down here to do or die. So tell me about, <laughs> tell me about like, how do you even begin to make a game about discovery uh, in a universe with like several different planets um, that you can explore from any angle at any point? And how do you begin to make that a coherent experience? Uh, sure. Uh, well, for, did you die? <laughs> oh, I totally died. Uh, yeah, I, I totally died. Yeah, I've, I've very much embraced the Groundhog Day-ness of this game where it's like, eh, I'm stuck down here. I'm going to suffocate to death on sand, but that's okay. <laughs> up again. Um, uh, so yeah, with, so the way, the very beginning, so, so I guess I'll preface from the very beginning, one of the major themes was the idea that you were in this world that in a very literal sense does not revolve around you, the player. 
mm-hmm. is home to these really dramatic, uh, like these really uh, overwhelmingly large natural systems that just don't care whether you live or die. Uh, and so the game, one of the first, like the planet designs came before a lot of it, a lot of the rest of the game. And so, because at the very beginning, it was sort of just a whiteboard with, like, there was one design of, like, okay, we could, like, the Hourglass Twins, the planet you're talking about. Like, what if we had two planets where sand flows back, like, from one planet to the other? Because in terms of prototyping, it was really easy. It's just, like, there's a sphere that gets smaller, and there's a sphere that gets bigger. And in between them, there's this thing that, like, pushes you. Um, Like, on paper, it's the world's simplest concept. Um, And the rest of the planets kind of fall, you know, we're like, okay, let's have a planet that gets broken apart over time by this volcanic moon. Let's have a planet that has tornadoes that tosses things into space just because these are things that we can do with physics that will feel very large and beyond your control and fun and sort of like a weird thing to get your head around. And then, and those evolved over over time as well. Like we kind of, I think Giant Steep originally was just like a literal gas giant. There was no ocean. Um, and so that stuff did change, but it, we sort of started with, the planets on like a really high level, just conceptual idea. And then the story pieces sort of uh, started to get added. So like we knew that we wanted this ancient race, the Nomai to arrive from outside the solar system. But when it came time to decide like, where did their escape pods go? uh, We were kind of picking where to send them based on sort of these pre-existing locations. Um, And so in that sense, we were sort of, I guess, kind of go we were like along for the ride with them and then as we as the story started to get more and more fleshed out of course specific parts of each planet started to get molded around like parts of the story we wanted to tell um so that was i guess an interesting process uh the only downside of that was then towards the end we had a few pieces of the puzzle that needed to slide into place but like we already had this like fixed number of planets and uh we had to sort of like it's like this jigsaw puzzle where like three pieces didn't quite fit and it took a while to uh, finally get everything to slot into place. And and as for you, uh, Wesley, from an art perspective, um, the obviously like Alex like had the, the original kind of thesis idea, but you undoubtedly have to have had like put your own personal touch on a lot of the design of the worlds. Um, the worlds themselves are characters that like move with their own weight and, and really refuse to budge for you as evidenced by the number of times I've uh, careened into the side of a planet. But uh, uh, wh- how do you like build levels that, uh, not even levels, how do you build like these little mini worlds that so fundamentally change over time um, and, and still make them like, uh, things that you can control as developers because i gotta imagine that must have been a hell of like a a, a bug or q a testing process uh where where does all that begin from an artistic level uh it was like from the beginning after playing that initial igf prototype um i knew that this was going to be like a very unconventional game from an art perspective uh because like game development tools are built for grids like every game wants you to like snap things to a grid of x and y and z axis they sure do. Um, and tiny spheres don't do that they don't have grids um, and so even from the beginning it was like how are we going to make art on spheres how are we going to make effects on spheres how are we going to do lighting how are we going to do fog like all these things that like game engines make easier normally 
we just couldn't do because the game engine assumes that you're making a square environment or a cube. Mm -hmm. It also assumes nothing's moving. That's the other big challenge. Yeah. It's like all sorts of fun, like fancy lighting effects you just just can't do if, uh, if literally everything in the game is moving. Yeah. Um, so the biggest challenge initially was just figuring out what we could do given the tools we already had and what tools we needed to develop. Um, and so like the first like year or two even of the project from our point of view was like trying processes out, trying out different tools, um, trying to figure out like what we could add to Unity, which is the engine we're using, um, in order to get things like fog and lighting and be able to model level design that feels good to walk around on even though you're on the sphere, uh, which just isn't easy to make. And do, are you guys like a fan of like three sort of genres really stuck out to me while playing it like horror, but more like the existential kind where it's like, yeah, you are you are a really small being in this like really uh, big world or universe, uh, but also like detective mysteries and sort of like Indiana Jones archaeology in a way. Uh, are, are you guys a fans of like either of those uh, genres and did they kind of influence the way you might have like built out the story? Um, it really does feel like I'm I'm playing kind of an Indiana Jones or like Sherlock Holmes, uh, but in a in a almost like Cthulian kind of uh, universe that is not my own. I feel like it's funny seeing everyone talk about like the horror aspects of the game because. We did not like set out to make a horror game. <laughs> um, no, no, at any level, uh, like it makes sense. Like, and I feel like that's just sort of our natural tendencies uh, coming because we wanted space to feel dangerous. Um, right. Early inspirations were, uh, again, this was like way back before there was sort of a resurgence in space games, but we wanted to make something more along the lines of Apollo thirteen or two thousand one, a space odyssey in terms of space being this dangerous place that humans really have no business being in, um, which is why it ended up being sort of having all these existential threats. And, um, but you're, yeah, in terms of like the other stuff, um, it was always supposed to be kind of this space archeology span slash Indiana Jones kind of feel to it. Um, I mean, I know we talk about Zelda, we're both huge Zelda fans. So obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot of, uh, more the Wind Waker than Majora's Mask, actually. Everyone assumes Majora's Mask is the biggest influence, but... Uh, why Why Wind Waker? Right, why Why would they think that? Um, uh, and uh, But yeah, I, do, like, I, I really love uh, La Mulana, even though I can't actually play finish those games without uh, using the internet. Finish uh, what game, sorry? Have you ever heard of La Mulana? No, I don't think I have. God, uh, it, tell, me, tell me more. 2D... It, it, it's honestly like a lot like Outer Wilds if the if, if it just didn't give you any hints at all about where to find the clues to progress. <laughs> um, in some ways, Outer Wilds... I, I played Outer Wilds actually after starting Outer Wilds, but while playing it, it's just like, oh my god, this is like not completely dissimilar in the sense that it tosses you into this world. You're literally an Indiana Jones character. You're solving these... You're going through these worlds. It's very exploration-focused. And as you explore, you learn clues that will help you solve puzzles throughout the world. Um, my only real problem with it is that the places where you find the clues versus where you find the puzzles the clues relate to are completely nonsensical. And so at some point, you just hit a wall. Um, 
but uh, I, I don't know. Those games are still pretty crazy, and there's nothing quite like them. Tell me more about uh, why why Wind Waker is kind of more your favorite Zelda game rather than yeah. I, I, obviously, people if they you know they if they go through one time loop in Outer Wilds and they die and restart uh, the Majora's Mask, like the you know day three, the the moon is finally crashed into Earth kind of thing. That's obvious enough, but uh, why why Wind Waker more so? Um, Majora actually Majora's Mask is my favorite Zelda, um, but it, the game owes more to Wind Waker. Uh, and in the sense that, so, so like the basic structure of the game is sort of the idea, we wanted to make an exploration game where the player was making their own goals and sort of being, exploring just simply because they're curious to learn about the world and then having the information to do that in sort of a targeted fashion. And the Wind Waker was one of the first games, um, that I played that did this thing where you talk to characters in that world that make a huge point of sort of telling you a story about some island off across the ocean uh, that they've been to and that you could go investigate if you wanted to. And I just remembered like being really curious whenever I find a character like that. There's a character I think who takes photos actually and hangs them in their photo gallery. And they, that shows sort of these weird anomalies across the ocean. Uh, and sort of that was the inspiration for the way Outer Wilds, everything in Outer Wilds is always telling you a story about the world or pointing you to something else physically in the world. We sort of have this rule internally, which is we are never going to talk about something sort of in the game's lore that is not a physical location you could go visit. And literally mm-hmm. everything you're finding as you're exploring Outer Wilds is either pointing you to something else that you should go investigate or telling you a rule that will help you investigate or explore some other location in the game. And it becomes this sort of web of the world referencing itself. And that was sort of directly inspired by um, the way Wind Waker kind of makes you curious about the islands across the Great Sea. It's funny you mentioned that rule because I feel like so many games that deal in like heavy-handed lore or or just dump huge amounts of lore on a player <clears throat> they'll do it you know through audio logs or or like uh i've been playing a lot of divinity 2 and there's you know a thousand books in there with just some basic text uh, and they all you know read like textbooks or novels or something um but the nomai the the like semi-ancient race of aliens that are like mysteriously vanished from your universe the even though they're like they're they're talking in this like very peculiar you know they're writing on the walls with like little spirals and uh you can have like multiple people in a single spiral kind of talking to each other uh but they talk and they communicate very much like like real people like ourselves very casually kind of you know jibing at each other uh cracking wise about like yeah those two they're totally gonna blow up this like orbital cannon like <laughs> we we need to like not show them the actual like power capacity for this giant like beam ray thing we've built um what was the thought process there uh creatively and uh uh making the nomai this sort of uh it, it, it is to me in a way you, you nailed it on, you nailed it on the head of like they're never referencing like big fantastical like theoretical things they're really just always talking or highlighting uh about uh uh real places that you can go or real things that like actually matter what was the process behind all that Uh, sure i'll try to uh so kelsey our writer 
uh, did a lot of the work here, um, and I will try to not completely botch this. But so on like a base level, we always started we uh, before we did any of the like really discrete writing for each location, like which characters talking to who, what exactly happens narratively. Um, we sort of had this map of the entire game and sort of like what clue are you learning at each major location um and by clue so like the cannon you're mentioning that sort of fires that probe off and then they kind of overclock it and it breaks apart um like on a from a design standpoint it's like okay this piece of text will tell the player that the purpose of like you know what, what was the cannon built for and hint at why it's breaking apart or like this piece of text tells you that there's a missing module and the contents of that missing module and so even without kind of even if you strip away all of the narrative information or sort of like the lore aspect you still have these kernels of like okay i should probably go here next and then so that would be like the skeleton that we would give kelsey and then we would work with her to be like okay how do we make people care about this um and so that's like where the idea of, okay, well, what if, like, how do we make people curious about why the cannon's exploding? Maybe we like hint that there were two groups and one group really wanted to fire the cannons, like, at, you know, way more pop, like stronger than they should have. And this other group is like, don't do that. It's going to break. And so to layer in the narrative on top of that, but at the foundation, there was always sort of these ideas of, okay, we need to communicate X, Y, and Z to the player so that they will know what to do next. And so you're never finding just pure lore as a result. Every piece of text in the game even though she did an incredible job of sort of building these characters with personality and making you interested to read it. Um, at the foundation, you're being, everything is communicating like actionable gameplay information to you. It's, there's very little just like throwaway dialogue in the game. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to um, that, that writer, uh, what was her name? Kelsey, uh, being able to communicate like the personality of like each of these uh, various Nomai scientists or explorers or researchers or whoever. <clears throat> without uh going too deep into nonsensical sci-fi technology dumps uh or anything like that um it, it really felt it really does feel like i'm kind of stumbling upon the remains of people and that that maybe lends a little bit of the like horror aspect of to it like uh the what is it the in that same sunless city there's a section where uh you're kind of following a story about kids that i won't spoil but like the end result of that story i'm kind of like Whoa. Whew, okay. Uh, for, for both of you, I, I'm curious, um, even we've talked a lot about like the horror aspect of this or the like, you know, big unknowable universe, very daunting kind of spirit of it all. Um, but Outer Wilds has this really charming, like backpacking aesthetic. Um, the game opens, the, the title screen opens up on, a very nice soft like banjo melody um there's campfires everywhere that you can roast marshmallows at and like as a as a long time you know game player a part of me kind of understands those as like okay here's a little hub to like take a moment to breathe get some information from one of the like fellow astronaut guys uh or uh or just like you know look around without feeling like you're kind of stuck somewhere um but that also plays against so much of the the more daunting aspects of the universe. Uh, from an art direction, Wes, like what what are you thinking about when you kind of establish uh, aesthetics like this? Yeah, I mean, early on we we came up with the motto of camping in space, which is sort of like our 
our measurement that we measure everything against. It's like, does this feel like camping in space? If it doesn't, throw it out. Um, and early on, we tried breaking that mold, and we're like, oh, what if the Nomai were super alien and weird, more like 2001, or like, you know, all these different things we tried. What if the planets had crazier color schemes or crazier, more sci-fi concepts? And everything that we tried that didn't feel like camping just felt wrong for the game um, because it lost that sort of rustic charm that you get that was in the IGF demo um, and that thankfully we were able to bring forward into the final game, which is really what gives the game its like heart that I think a lot of people are really drawn to. Um, so that was sort of like our motto. The actual execution of that was just very, it was a big challenge to like get everyone on the same page whenever we would like hire a new artist or work with a new contractor or something. It was always like, okay, we know you're going to have all these ideas about making it like look cooler or more stylish or like bring some new like artistic idea to the table, but just pretend you're at summer camp and like that's the mood we're going for. Um, you know, you're on a hike through a national park and you stop and meet a traveler and like that's what we want it to feel like when you're going around. So we ended up referencing a lot of, you know, national parks and like historical ruins of like Mesa Verde, stuff like that, because that was what felt more right. Um, so we often say it's not really a sci-fi game. It's like a hiking game that you just happen to have. Sci-fi. Yeah, it's more it's more a game about exploring nature than it is about exploring space specifically, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And the, one of the original... Uh, sort of motivations behind the camping aesthetic beyond the whole like just I don't know it's a good fit you sit around a campfire you look up at the stars and you you know wish you could go there um but the camping aesthetic the habit that sort of whimsical charm of it also helps make some of the headier sci-fi stuff more palatable and more uh accessible I guess more approachable um than if it was like really hard sci-fi like sleek alien crazy stuff everywhere and interesting that you mentioned all that because as as like a 19 year old or a 20 year old one of my one of my favorite like family vacations ever was going to the like national parks out in Utah and Nevada and um like southern California and really like i as, as a kid i grew up in like suburban illinois um and seeing for the first time these mountains that like you know i i had never heard of any of these mountains cuz they weren't like Kilimanjaro or like the Rockies or anything uh, but they were their own individual little series of mountains uh, but seeing how still dwarfed I was against those um, that kind of small creature in a big world kind of aspect of camping I think does translate to a game like Outer Wilds because uh, in a way it is about feeling small and feeling like you know we 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 only have scratched the surface of of what we know. And also, one other part I wanted to touch on was um, maybe maybe I'm taking the game in a like different direction than most. I'm not sure. I uh, in my first maybe five to six hours of gameplay, I really spent a lot of time on the Ember and Ash Twin planets, the ones with the sand kind of transferring between you know both orbs, and. Uh, uh, it was funny. I, I stumbled upon the routes down into the Sunless City, uh, this you know underground series of, of uh, civilization. Uh, and every time I would die, I would like run back to my spaceship and kind of hurtle there as fast as possible. 
And then after a while, like when I kind of hit a couple of walls, I'm like, okay, I'm not finding everything I think I need to find here. I'm going to, I'm going to do the, the gamer thing and like, just go somewhere else because I'm going to, I'm going to give somewhere else a shot and see if the story progresses in a way that I, I find entertaining. That sense of like, I got to get there fast before, um, the sand swallows up the entire city or I've got to, you know, uh, uh, very hurriedly frantically panicked kind of find that uh emergency beacon that like leads through the guts of the ship into the caverns that lead to the city that kind of was this weird uh polar opposite feeling of like gotta go 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 as opposed to the nicer slowness of that that camping experience i don't know if any of that makes sense but like what do you guys think you you sort of like kind of the sense of like being on the clock contrasting the uh the more like contemplative moments yeah 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 um something we kind of worried about to be honest um like especially when i mean originally we actually extended the length of the time loop from the alpha which was 18 minutes and now it's 22 minutes um and a lot of that's just because you know there's a lot more writing to digest and the level design is a lot more complicated but um, one of the reasons there's no on-screen timer, um, like literally counting down the minutes, is so that you don't have this sort of nagging sense that you should be rushing. Because most of the time, we, we did a lot of playtesting, obviously, to figure out like how much time to give people. Um, if you're not worried about the time, except in the few instances like rushing to the city where you absolutely should be, uh, we tried to design it in a way where you don't have to be super paranoid about it. And you can, mm-hmm. take a, you know, kind of just take your time and observe things. And there aren't too many things you have to wait. You have to, like, do it the right time, so to speak, so that even if you do die, you can go back and kind of just do it again. And there's not a huge penalty for taking your time and taking in the sights. Wesley, from a from an art perspective, too, uh, the the character, the Timber Herthians uh, that we meet early on, we we spend like the first thirty minutes or so of the game on this planet before we really dive into the uh, universe. Uh, it it is funny that like to to me, everyone kind of treats you as like. I don't know, you know, hey, Sprout, good for you. You're going out into space. We're really proud of you. But, like, when you actually get out there, it's this much more daunting, dangerous thing. Um, uh, but also, like, that the going from the comforting familiarity of those Herthian woods to uh, the rest of space, um, what kinds of moods, like, planet to planet, uh, are you trying to evoke with, like, these sort of familiar aesthetics, like, on Hearth? Uh, or versus the like very Cthulhu-esque realms like where you find like these giant skeletons of anglerfish Um, from an art direction what are you thinking about like each world's kind of mood yeah um, there's a couple of things we've already talked about that sort of tie into this Um, the the aspect of camping is sort of central to that because one of the things we would often talk about as developers is like you're sitting around a campfire like sharing stories about what you did that day and like the forest behind you is dark and scary and like you feel this like warmth in camaraderie at like the campfire and the light but you know that out there the forest does not care about you it's terrifying and so that was sort of part of the like nature doesn't care about you aspect that we try to bring to every planet 
which is that your home planet is sort of like the only friendly place, and even it's pretty dangerous, um, but it's like the only like place where you don't have to worry about your oxygen or things like that. Um, and so every planet we tried to make some sort of like intimidating nature, um, you know, like Brittle Hollow kind of feels like a cave because you're going under this crust and there's these giant crystal formations. Giant's Deep is like the perpetual storm where you're out in the ocean and like there's no land in sight and you don't know what's going on. Um, the Hourglass Twins are sort of two sides of the desert, one being like these network of labyrinthian caves and the other one being like the worn away, like wind-blown rocks that are all craggly and exposed. Um, so each place in the game we tried to like take in a different sort of natural direction of all these sorts of places that you could go if you were out exploring national parks or bikepacking or whatever. Um, we always wanted it to feel natural, but also not not a place of civilization, not like a, a comforting place. It was always like, this world doesn't care about you. It's got its own systems. It's got its own history. Um, it exists and you're able to explore it because you're curious about it. I got to ask, like, are either of you big, uh, like, backpackers or campers, or were you, like, Cub Scouts or anything like that as kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're definitely into, into backpacking. I, <laughs> I lasted for one meeting, and I gave up. But uh, <laughs> that, that, that's my own, like, suburban inner child, you know, fighting against that. So, uh, yeah, tell me, what, what was it like uh, growing up sort of a, a Cub Scout or a backpacker, uh, and what what is it about that kind of... Uh, uh, part of childhood or young adulthood that really speaks to you? I think for me, um, I actually grew up in the Redwood Forests in Central California. Um, oh, cool. So speaking of like you feel insignificant in nature, like every day for me was like going outside and seeing trees that were hundreds of feet tall and just feeling dwarfed by this intense, like crazy place. Um, so that was sort of ingrained into me at a fundamental level. And, you know, even not having like done a lot of backpacking or things like that just hiking around and you know exploring as a kid like you just feel this sense of complete like intimidation from nature and it's like a beautiful sort of intimidation but you're definitely intimidated like i have nothing here um, so that was definitely a big inspiration for me and that's one of the reasons why there are redwood trees on timber hearth is because i was like it'd be neat with a small planet to have these giant trees sticking up how about you alex uh, so, so similar, it was back, I, I just kind of like, I, my favorite thing to do um, in games and then also just, I guess, like out in nature is sort of just explore. And I enjoy, I love it when exploration has maybe a bit, like, there's a bit of opposition to what you're trying to explore. So it's sort of, you know, you're hiking up a mountain and it's not, you know, it's not a literal walk in the park. There's sort of like these forces you have to account for. Um, and sort of you're in, you know, but, but sort of then you push through and you reach this, you know, this beautiful vista where you get to see everything. Um, and in a similar way, it's why like in the game, it's the idea of you're going to be exploring and you're trying to solve these mysteries, but these mysteries aren't just going to give themselves up. They're hidden in these very dangerous parts of the world. And growing up as a kid, I was always taken with, again, like films like Apollo 13 or really just anything that portrayed humans venturing into places they really had no business being in um, because they wanted to learn more and sort of building these contraptions or you know sort of gearing up to sort of face the unknown and brave the elements as it were why do you think uh both in 
in like popular media, yeah, like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey or or any number of uh, like science fiction films, um, but also in real life, we, humanity does uh, have a urge to explore the unknown, um, to dive deep into those caverns or to you know rock ourselves into space. Uh, have, do you ever think about why, like as a species, we have that drive? Um, do you? Th- I, I imagine you must if you made a whole damn game about like the drive, the drive to get out there, huh? Um, yeah, the, the sort of idea behind Outer Wilds is sort of that the spirit of curiosity. Um, and I'm, sh- I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who have done a lot of more specific sort of you know cognitive evaluation of yeah, why do we do this as a species? Are there evolutionary reasons? Um, the sort of part of it uh, I was interested in for Outer Wilds was sort of exploring just because you were curious to know what is out there and to learn the answers of sort of our place in the universe and also just like how the universe works and that's why there's no there are no tangible forms of progression in outer wilds there's no you know there's no crafting you can't level up literally the only thing that you can take back you with take back in time with you every loop is knowledge and the reason for that is we wanted we wanted to make a game where people were exploring because they were curious and our approach was sort of well if we don't give them if there's literally no reward for exploring this world other than learning more about it then that's all you're left with so to speak it's essentially just like doing science Mm -hmm. in like an abstracted form which is something like everyone on the team we're all you know geek out about the next scientific discoveries and stuff but it's just the idea of like you're just doing this because you want to learn about it and for no other reason. And games are so into like giving explicit rewards for everything because, you know, it gives you adrenaline and gets you hooked on the game loop and all that. And we were like, just want a game that's about the joy of discovery. It's easy to think of in like a alternate universe where maybe like one of you got scooped up by uh, a larger company and said like, okay, cool idea, exploring the universe, you know, learning about ancient race of, of aliens or, or solving the mysteries of the universe. How can we make this a service game? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 and yes, let the player like get some really dope loot. Uh, no, that, I, th- I think that's part of why Outer Wilds like really fascinates me is, yeah, I, I am only taking that information back. And honestly, like there's, I, I, I might be incorrect, but I think if you go back to the same location, you just were like the walls, uh, the text walls, like you have to reread those if you want to reread them. So it's not like it's, you are, you were literally going back in time. And, and if you, if you were a different person or like a, a offspring of your character, uh, they would have to like reacclimate themselves to some of that information unless you passed it down. And I think about, the astronauts who, you know, landed on the moon and uh, humanity has yet to set foot uh, aside from a robot's foot on Mars. But um, that didn't stop, you know, the Buzz Aldrin uh, from landing on the moon and taking that step and knowing like, hey, what what I do here is going to give a boost to whatever kid comes after me and actually does set foot on something like Mars or beyond. Um, and how it, maybe some more cynical people might view that as kind of like a, not nihilistic, but kind of fatalist kind of perspective, but also it, it is beautiful in its way that 
I'm going to give I'm going to give my life to my life and my life's work to make sure the next generation gets a little further right that's that's all of humanity that's all of like the animal kingdom in a way too yeah uh, and i don't know how much it comes through but that's definitely one of the main sort of thematic ideas in the game is we do we did rely pretty heavily on that idea you know, sort of the on the shoulders of giants concept because um, in a sense like the harthians in the game all half of the stuff that you're using is based on nomine technology and you're sort of following the footsteps of this ancient race and then they have their generations that sort of it's a, yeah it's sort of building on the building these layers of knowledge um through exploration and yeah you know i i think there's a there's even a text wall somewhere i can't remember if it's on timber hearth or somewhere else but there there is some know my character writing like hey we should leave uh the the like a certain number of trees on this planet because like what happens if one day uh, life on this planet, you know, needs to do what we did here. Uh, we should like leave some platform for them to, you know, take the the next steps that we've taken. Um, we shouldn't just decimate it along the way. So that was that was certainly a beautiful moment. You guys, is Mobius Digital uh, kind of sticking together? I know here actually, this is this is what I wanted to ask. Um, so. Outer Wild started as this like student thesis, uh, just you, Alex. But then, as Mobius Digital begins to form, um, how how does that change the process of? Uh, obviously, it's a much more collaborative process. But like, how does that change the way you approach a really unique vision like Outer Wilds? Uh, sure. Well, actually, so it it was my thesis project, but even as a student project, we actually had a pretty sizable team. How many? Um, of the people, um, and so we had you, because we, we had groups of artists, um, and we had some programmers, and we had some designers, and sort of, so it was sort of like a team project, but of course it's a student project uh, that kind of pans out very differently. Um, and then here, uh, we actually, so from the original team, we still have, it's myself, uh, the other designer, Loan, uh, our writer, Kelsey, and our composer, Andrew, were all on it from the very beginning. And so, um, but then transitioning over here, obviously, sort of that dynamic shifts a bit. And I feel like it's mostly just nice that everyone here is really passionate about it and sort of everyone, you know, it's a professional project now and that changes things and everyone becomes a lot more focused. Um, so uh, I don't know, it's been kind of a joy to work on the last four years. Um, I, I see, my, <laughs> A joy to work on but not you know obviously every project has its ups and downs yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some there were some rough patches for sure i uh i did want to I, I think i remembered the question i wanted to ask um from a from a technical standpoint i imagine this had to have been one of the like downsides of of creating such a game with a a modestly sized team uh the outer wilds definitely doesn't like hold your hands when it comes to like getting on to the planet um you have to learn there there is like an autopilot mode which is certainly helpful but uh you have to learn how to like the planets won't wait for you they are orbiting and you can crash into them really fast if you like are overshooting your arc um but also people people make the the comparison and i and i hate to bring it up but like oh this is what i kind of wanted no man's sky to be and no man's sky like relies a lot on procedurally generated data and kind of you know reusing assets and whatnot um but i can tell like as i go towards 
these planets, like, they're certainly, you know, generating a lot of the, like, architecture or, or geography, uh, and certainly the, like, sunless city doesn't exist until I get there, uh, because that would be, like, such a amazingly difficult load for any, like, computer to handle, like, from, you know, a million miles away. Uh, from a technical standpoint, like, how do you build a world and then like grow it as you get closer uh without like breaking the game in some fundamental way and i suppose that could that could, that could be a direction for either alex or wesley here because like the art team did some insane lod models of it. <laughs> like the fact that you like you like can't notice some of the loads is, is, is a little ridiculous um and uh our one of our programmers logan did a lot of the streaming stuff but the, the really short answer is um we just turn off as much as possible when you're not there. Um, the problem was sort of the, you know, one of the core pillars of the game is sort of this world that is changing over time. And so a big part of that is, well, things happen even when you're not there. And like Brutal Hollow, that planet that breaks apart as it gets bombarded by meteors, that still happens whether or not you're across the solar system or on that planet. Like if you leave your ship there, um, you know, you might go back and it, the piece you parked it on might just be gone. Um, and that was really, really important to us. So the hardest thing was choosing which parts of the simulation to constantly simulate and figuring out how can we do sort of a lower, a, a less intense version of that if you were not physically there to witness it without it being sort of a giant cheat. Um, but then I got I let you from the art side. Yeah, I mean, essentially, like, the answer to that question is, like, what we were figuring out over the last four years. Um, a lot of it was... I don't know if actually a bigger team would have really helped. Like, I don't think a AAA studio would have ended up with a game like this because so much of what we did is like every person on the team knows so much about every part of the game that we're able to like, you know, when our 3D artist Lara is placing rocks, she's able to like talk to Alex about like, hey, what do you want this jump to be like? Or, you know, we're able to like set up certain vistas from certain pads or, you know, make sure that like, the VFX, like, carefully communicate what the forces are actually doing. Uh, and in so many games, those departments are so separated that you end up with, like, things that are very pretty individually, but they don't, they're not as cohesive as a whole. And I think we were really fortunate to assemble a team that was able to work together like a hive mind, mm -hmm. where, like, towards the end of the project, we barely even get to talk to each other about things. Cause it's like, well, I know Alex is going to think this, and Mullen's going to think that, and you know, Logan's going to have this input for, like, the technical implementation. And so we can just very quickly, like, continue polishing at this point because we have such a close-knit group here. I think one of the small miracles of the project is that we never really made any compromises when it came to any everything, but, but, but like, especially that kind of stuff. Because it would have been, like, there were certain things, um, certain mechanics in the game. I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the projection stones that let you see other yeah. places. Um, I feel like that would have just been cut at, like you're saying, like another studio possibly. Because we have to like stream in the entire other planet because your camera's actually there, which mm -hmm. like a normal game would just be like, that's stupid, cut it. Yeah, it's like a lot of stuff that makes like, you're like, oh, this makes sense on design-wise on paper. And then you go to, you know, you go to do it. And you're just like, what? There's a reason why games don't do this. Um, but yeah, we were fortunate enough to have the team we had and sort of, you know, Logan just sat down and was like, no, I'm going to make it work. I'm like, all right. <laughs> we all kind of had that attitude of like, this is going to be stupid hard and we shouldn't do it, but we're going to do it because it's what makes the game special. And we sort of like, 
I don't. I can't think of a single thing where we actually compromised on that. No, we never ended up. We talked about it a there, lot. There, and was, there were some dicey moments where, we're like, uh oh, we might have to make yeah. make this huge problem. But there was a, getting it. that brief period where you'd like get to a planet and there it freeze because it was like loading in assets, and then Logan <laughs> went and just we we're just like, okay, it's like way more important that it not freeze here than everything sort of load in all at once, and so. You know, if you're, like, running on something with, like, really slow RAM, um, is that the right? God, I hope I... I don't know either. I just had a friend build a PC for me, so I feel you. Yeah, uh, it'll... It, you know, you'll see, you'll, you'll notice, you'll be like, oh, that thing hasn't... Full, like, that's the proxy version. Like, like the full-res version hasn't loaded in yet. If you're running on a slow enough machine, on most you right. can't tell most of the time. Um, but that was way more important to us. Like, we didn't... We cared less about that than... Been having any sort of break in the seamlessness of the travel, um, and so it just became, I guess, you know, a matter of priorities and just like not letting that stuff get in the way. But but I feel very yeah, very fortunate that we were able to pull all of that off and we didn't have to get rid of anything for the sake of tech limitations. That was another thing that like normal game engines do that system in a very different way because it's all based on like a grid and like how far away things are plotted from you on the grid. Whereas when you're on these tiny spheres, like something might be actually really close to you, but we still want to turn it off. Or the opposite might be true where it's really far away, but we can't turn it off because you're technically a line of sight to it. And so it was essentially like just a lot of elbow grease of like we had to keep play testing and keep like fine tuning all these hand placed like sectors that would turn off and on objects and change the renderers. And, you know, we had our art team work for way longer than we should have to like make right. these proxies that are like if you squint they look the same so that we could have those transitions be seamless even though the actual engine didn't do any of that work for us like surely we could turn off the structures on the opposite side of the planet it's like not if there's a giant hole through the planet yeah. so no <laughs> I, I admit there was a part of me that was like i wonder if i can break this game and like i think it was on ember twin which is like arguably i think the smallest planet uh, or one of them, uh, I, I would use my jetpack to like just launch myself around the curvature of the planet and just be like, okay, if I move fast enough, like, will I see like the low res version of like this? Uh, know my spaceship that's like crashed here or something? Uh, and I've, I've yet to break it, so I guess that's that's a, a testament to you guys. But we actually, <laughs> uh, during development, we had a, an achievement that we were going to put in the game, which was for having your probe and the ship and yourself all on different planets. Uh, and our programmers made us cut the achievement because it would like cause crashes and stuff. Just destroy the universe before that 22 minute clock <laughs> runs out. Yeah. It's true. Do, if you leave your, yeah, that, that's like, cause then you have to, we have to like run the sim for like all three of those planets at once. So. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think about like how, uh, a larger team would have approached that perhaps in, a, in an even more conservative way. Um, but you like you found the rubber bands and glue tricks to make it work. The game is its own duct tape spaceship. Yeah, hobbling through space. Yeah. Arachnids are a metaphor for the development of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I I do appreciate the fact that you don't require like resources to fix your ship's landing gear when you break it open. You just press X and like it's 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 fixed. So thanks for not making me go collect like you know ore or something. But, but you're using marshmallows to glue the. Uh, yeah. Using, using marshmallows, marshmallows. Yeah, yeah melt some marshmallows. marshmallows. Oh my gosh. Uh, tell you what, I'll leave you guys with this last question here. Um, and, you know, whether it's from a creative aspect or a art design aspect, uh, 
Outer Wilds to me isn't like a game that would necess- that I think would necessarily like see a sequel because it's it's it is very much its own unique kind of like uh, if you've seen it once the 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 luster would might wear off on a sequel but as as the games industry goes forward and you know more students whether they're at USC or elsewhere or younger developers or indie teams kind of look at the ways that you know a small team can achieve these really you know important meaningful moments of like discovery or player curiosity uh what do you hope is kind of the impact of outer wilds on the conversations that those kinds of people are having about the way we build games and stories and and worlds and universes in these places i think i'll let alex do the long answer and i'll just do a a short answer version (laughs) um for me it's like even back when i played the idf demo I immediately recognized that like Outer Wilds was the type of game that I wanted more of in the industry. It's like a lot of people had that experience when they played the first like Souls game or their first time playing a Zelda game or something like that. It's like an itch that a lot of people have that you can't quite scratch until you've played that game. And for me, that was like Outer Wilds when I played the demo. I was just like, this is this is what I want out of games, and it's not being done in this way. And so for me, I'm kind of have a selfish hope that like other game developers will play it and be inspired by it and make their own exploration-based games that aren't about picking up items or managing your inventory or collecting resources, because I just want to play games about exploration with, you know, cool physics and fun secrets to discover. So that's that's my answer. Um, I, think, I think for me, it's sort of... I would love... And, and, and there are definitely games that sort of do this. Like, I don't think we're the only ones moving in this direction uh, but sort of trying to bridge the gap between the players motivations and sort of their experience of the game and sort of the, their, the character they're controlling's experience and so with Outer Wilds it was the whole like okay everything you read every piece of texture decoding is sort of pointing you to the next thing that you could potentially investigate and then leaving it up, the play, up to the player to do that sort of not not telling the player what to do, but trying to nudge them and sort of make them curious to sort of want to do it on their own. And I guess I would love to see more games trust the player to sort of figure things out for themselves, both on terms of like the story and also just sort of like the world they're in. Um, and I don't know, because I, I guess for me, it's like I love being in games and I always think Leslie mentioned Dark Souls, and Dark Souls was definitely an inspiration where they sort of dump you into this world and sort of, there's no layer on top of what you do in the world. It's not like, okay, now I'm in a conversation and I'm like in this completely different mode of thought from the rest of the game. It's like, I'm in this world and all of my actions are part of the story. There's no sort of disconnect between what I am doing and what my character is doing or what I'm thinking and sort of what I should be thinking in terms of the story that's being told. No, and and having I just went to E3 this past week, uh, and seeing a lot of you know big role playing games kind of tout their um, their own like sense of discovery and player choice and, and curiosity. Uh, it, it it is still interesting to see 
the difference between something big like uh, <laughs> the the damn game that I know I know a lot of my colleagues like accidentally type like Outer Worlds or uh, versus Outer Wilds uh, or or any number of RPGs Dying Light Cyberpunk whatever um, seeing the way that a big team approaches player choice and and curiosity and discovery versus the way you guys have I think I think even though like the numbers are stacked against you. Uh, I, I think Outer Wilds is going to have a really special place in the hearts of anyone who does uh, have the fortune of playing it. And uh, from the bottom of this gamer's heart, thank you so much for making this weird, wacky thing that has like really given me a lot to think about. And quite frankly, when we're done here, I'm going to go back to playing it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, guys. And um, what is what is next for Mobius and where can people find you? Well, we um, we have nothing to announce right now. Obviously, sure, we're, sure. We have uh, we're thinking about stuff. Um, we're currently can... all hands on deck, fixing bugs, and yeah, you know, trying to make the current game as good as possible. Now that we have thousands of people playing it and giving us feedback, uh, we have an incoming patch for a late game puzzle. So apologies in advance if you run up against that before we get it out. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, as for where you can reach us, uh, I think is it mobiusdigital.com? Yeah. MobiusDigitalGames.com, maybe? Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I'll make sure to include it in the show description. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate you guys taking some time to talk to me today. And uh, yeah, I, I hope this has been a great conversation for you. Uh, yeah, this has been yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for playing the game. Awesome. And folks, every week here on the 1099, you can find another interview with uh, either someone from the game dev side of in the industry or games media and hoping to have some meaningful conversations here. Uh, lining up next week's guests, so nothing to announce for that. So check us out here on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and elsewhere. Thank you so much, guys. Check it out next week. Mm-hmm.